Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. The story I'm about to tell you Probably is not true. Open your Bibles to Luke, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 4. That's not the story that's not true. That's, that's the real story. I heard a story last week and I, I was actually reminded of it. And, and so I had to go and search out, is this really true? And you know what you do. You, you hear something, you don't want to repeat a lie, but it's such a good story that you simply say, hey, this is probably not true and you can get away with it, right? So here's the story. And I don't think this is true, but maybe it is. I don't know. I couldn't find evidence that it's true. So uh, there was a church, a small country church, and across the street from them was a piece of property that was for sale. And a young man bought it and intended to put a nightclub on it. Well, that, of course, did not settle well with the church. And so the church decided they would try to block it. They did all the normal channels of trying to block it. They went to city council and said, hey, we don't want this. But city council, of course, said, yes, we want the tax dollars. It can be there. It's all right. And they tried to to keep them from buying the land. The guy was able to get financing, finally bought the land. And he started building the nightclub right across from the church. And so the pastor said, here's what we'll do. Church, we're going to pray that God would burn it down. So they began to pray, Lord, burn this place down, burn it down. (laughs) That's kind of weird, actually, if you think about it. And so the night before it opened, a lightning strike hit the building and burn it to the ground. Of course, the owner was out money. So the owner filed suit against the church. And his suit claimed that the church is the reason that his nightclub burned down. And so it went to the judge and the judge was hearing the case. And of course, the nightclub owner said, listen, this church prayed for the church to be burnt down and it was burnt down. They are responsible for my loss. The church got up and said, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't burn it down. We, we didn't have anything to do with that. It's not our fault that it burned. I mean, it was lightning that did it. The judge heard both sides and then he said to the courtroom, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to rule on this one. This is a really tough one. But one thing is very clear here. The only person in this room that actually believes in prayer is the nightclub owner. (laughs) The truth is, we are a people who are supposed to believe in prayer. By believe in prayer, I don't mean we believe in the concept of prayer. I don't mean we believe in praying about some things, you know, the big things that we can't handle. But as the people of God, we ought to believe 100% with absolute certainty that the prayers of God's people reach through the heavens to the ears of Almighty God. In fact, I think it would be foolish for us to pretend that all throughout Scripture, prayer is not up front and center. I mean, there are hundreds of biblical passages that demonstrate 
when God's people pray, God hears and he answers. And it, there's no way in the next 30 minutes I could, I could go through all of these passages. There's no way I could give you a, a full expose of prayer in the time that we have today. My only goal today is really twofold. One, I want you to hear that as a church, we are a people of prayer. Not enough prayer, but we're a people of prayer. Number two, I want you to hear that prayer does matter. So in Acts chapter 2, there's a story of the church engaging in prayer. So as you've turned to Acts chapter 2, let me give you a little bit of backstory up to this point. Can we turn the house lights up so, I can, so everybody can see their Bibles? It's a little dark in here. Plus, I want to see their beautiful faces. And so here's the backstory. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says that the disciples were together and they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So right there we know what the early church was doing at its inception, at the beginning of their, uh, their collection beginning of their gathering, that was part of who they were. It was their DNA. Now, we already have done all of these things this morning. So, congratulations. We're a New Testament church, right? We're a first century church. We have the apostle. We're not apostles, but we're, we're looking at the teaching, right? We're doing that now. Saga did that. We were fellowshipping. As you walked through the doors, you had hugs and maybe even some holy kisses in there. I don't know. But you, you got to be in each other's lives. If you were in Bible study, that was even more of that. We broke bread together. That's what communion is. We're breaking bread at the Lord's table. And then prayer. We've talked about prayer. We've done some prayer. But it is not an accident that the early church had these basic concepts down and yet because of that God did marvelous things if you continue just a little bit farther you'll see that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles why because they were a church who prayed so my question is this what were they praying for I mean if you were the early church if you were brand new at this thing what would you be praying for now how old was the oldest in terms of 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 how long they've known Christ. How old was the oldest believer there? About three years. Right? I mean you can't be a Christian without Christ. And so Jesus came. He called the disciples to himself. He called the first twelve. And so the oldest people there. Were three years in the faith. That, that's pretty young if you think about it. They, they were the leaders of the church. They were the apostles. They were the preachers. They were the evangelists. And then most of the people though. We're not three years old in the faith. Most of them were like months old or days old. Because daily God was adding new believers. They had gotten to about 5,000 believers. So this was an incredibly young church. And yet they still understood, hey, we've got a purpose. We have something that we're called and commanded to do. Prayer was one of those. So what were they praying for? I believe that their prayer was very simple. Very basic. I believe their prayer was this. Father, you told us what to do. Help us do it. I really think that was the simplicity of it. Now, there was probably other stuff like, 
Lord, feed us today because we, we need food. I mean, when Jesus said, this is how you pray, no doubt they would have remembered that. And they would give us this day our daily bread, right? They would have been asking for cleanliness, making sure they were right before God. But at the end of the day, you could sum all of that up with, God, you've given us a purpose and a vision and a mission. Help us to do it. By the way, if, if you don't see it yet, I want you to remember that what we're doing in these last couple of weeks and these next couple of weeks is we're building a strong biblical understanding of who the church is and why we do what we do. So that first week we talked about foundations, remember? And everything we do is built on the foundation of God's word. That's why every single message message goes back to what does the Bible say? Interestingly story, this is not just something we're preaching. This is something that as church leadership we're actually living. This past week there were two particular issues that were Issues that we had to, to work through as a, as a team. And here's how the staff meeting went. Hey, this is what we want to do. How are we supposed to do it? There was one opinion here. There was another opinion here. And we, we, we were seeing things from different angles. And so we said, well, let's just see what the Bible says. So we pulled out the Bible. We read the text that dealt with what we were dealing with. And we said, okay, that's the absolute basics. That's what we have to work from. And then from there, we said, okay, well... If we do it this way, and so we worked it out, but we went and we started with the scripture. That was one of them. Another one was a question of what to do in a certain situation. And we went back to the scripture and says, what does the Bible say about it? I want to tell you that because as a leadership team, that's our mode of operation. We start with the scripture and then whatever the scripture doesn't say, we fill in based on what seems to be the most reasonable, what seems to be the most helpful, what seems to be the most unifying. That's, our, that's the way we operate as leadership because that's who we are as a church. The foundation has got to be firm. On that foundation, the next level, we talked about the fact that our history is we're an SBC church. We're Southern Baptist for a reason. But we're Southern Baptists because way back in the 1500s, there was this thing called the Protestant Reformation. And there were some basics out of that, that that's who we are. That's our identity. And so we, we kind of understood our history or our roots to know how we got where we are and why we do what we do. And then the very next week after that, we said, hey, because we have a history, because we are a people of God, we also have a mission and a purpose of God. And that's right here. Luke or Acts chapter 4 Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We said, hey, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We know why we exist. We know what Jesus said for us to do. We just have to do it. And then last week we said, hey, God is the one who owns the church. He's the one who commands us to do what we do. And so we're going to believe God with great faith. So with great faith, that means that if God says it, it doesn't matter what our eyes see. We're just going to do what we're, so, what we're told to do. Because God is going to make it happen because it is in his purpose and his will and he never, ever lies. So you can see we're building this foundation. And so the next step of this thing is prayer. Our prayers are what they are because we believe that God is leading us. So how we pray is dependent upon how much faith we have. Church, I don't want to be a church of little prayers. I want to be a church of ginormous prayers, not because of us, but because we have a God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills and whose heart it is to reach all the nations of the earth with the message of the gospel. God loves all people, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious. We learned that 
in second grade. We must live that as a church. And so I think the early church, as young as they were, they got it. And I think they were praying, God, we know what our mission is. Help us to do it. I mean, all they knew was what Jesus did. So they figured, well, we'll just do what he did and see how it works out. They had something, though, that they didn't have before. What was that? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will receive power. Dunamis, dynamite power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Notice how direct that is. You will receive power because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses all over the world. So I believe they were praying, God, help us to fulfill what you called us to do. The next scene in chapter 3 of Acts is really cool. Peter and John at 3 o'clock in the afternoon are going to the temple to pray. Because they had regular times of prayer. And so they were doing what every other Jew in the city would have been doing. Every other faithful Jew. They would have been going to the temple to pray. And as they went to the temple, they passed by a man who was sitting at the gate who was lame since birth. So this would have been an, uh, 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 maybe an older man, 34 years old or so. He was lame since he was born, never able to walk. And so he was dependent upon his friends to carry him and drop him off. And this was how this man ate. This is how he survived. He was depending on God's people to do something kind to him for him to eat that day. And as John and Peter walked by, they looked at him and they had pity on him. They, they, it wasn't just, a, oh, I feel sorry for you. It was a, we've got something we want to give you. And they said these words, silver and gold we don't have. And they didn't. They didn't have a credit card. They didn't have a checkbook. They didn't have a bank account. They were living day by day. Which is okay because they knew that God said, give us this day is your prayer. Our daily bread. So, the example of that, by the way, is all the way back in the Old Testament when the people of God needed food. And God said, I'm going to provide food for you. In the morning, I'm going to send manna. In the evening, I'm going to send manna. I'm going to throw some quail in there too. But here's the deal. Do you all remember this story? Don't take enough for tomorrow. Take only enough for today. Why would God do that? That doesn't make good sense. He did it to grow their faith and to show them that he was God. And he would provide their every single need. I'm taking a lot of rabbit trails here. But this, listen, there are times as a church where we don't have enough to do what God says to do. We look around, we go, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough influence. And yet God still says, this is what I want you to do. That's where our faith kicks in. And we say, Lord, it doesn't make good sense. But if you said it, I'll do it. It's exactly what the disciples said when he said, hey, throw your nets on the other side. What was their response? We've been fishing all night. We ain't caught jack. That's kind of the, that's the Greek, if you'll, if you'll go back and look at that. That's, I mean, they're fishermen. We ain't caught nothing. But because you say so, we'll do it. What happened? They went out, they threw the nets on the other side of the boat, and they caught so many fish, it was stretching their nets and breaking them. That's the same God we serve today. So there are times when we don't have enough to do what God says for us to do. But because God says do it, we 
go forward. And do you know what happens? You've seen it and I've seen it. At just the right time, which translated means at the end of a millisecond too late, God comes through and he does what he, what, what he provides what we need. I'll never forget, I was with uh, Saga's pastor in India. They were having this big event. It was a youth event. They had thousands of students coming. And they had ordered some t-shirts for this youth event. And I was with the pastor, David. And we were walking from the office to the courtyard of the church. Because the truck showed up with the t-shirts that were ordered. And I don't remember how the conversation came about. But I was, I was asking or he was talking. And, and, and I said, how are you paying for this? His answer, the Lord will provide. So I'm like, so you don't have the money? He says, no. So let me get this straight. You ordered shirts without the money to pay for the shirts. The shirts are now here, and you're going to go collect the shirts? How's this going to work out? The Lord will provide. As I recall, as he was walking to the truck, somebody walked up and handed him money. said, the Lord told me to give you this money. And if I recall correctly, it wasn't a church member who did it. It was somebody in the community who said, hey, what you're doing is a good thing. Use this money for what you need it for. And it was enough money to pay for the shirts. You want to talk about an on-time God? That is an on-time, a little too on-time God. See, what we want is God to pile up the bank account so we never have to get that close to trusting him. And let me tell you, there are times when God does pile up the account. There are, right now, for, for the, uh, uh, for the uh, renovation, that, that, that's where we were. Not there now, but here's the deal. So God piles up the account when our faith is strong. But when our faith is weak, he moves us to an on-time God position. Why? Because he wants to remind us, don't just trust me when, it's, when your coffers are full or when you're pantry's full you need to trust me when it's empty because I'm the same God in both situations I filled them in the first place and I can fill them when they're empty does that make sense this is not a message about money this is a message about God that God provides always if he says he's going to do it and so Peter and John did all that Peter and John said we don't have any change we don't have a dollar we can't even give you anything to eat right now because we have barely enough as it is, but what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, oh, I wish I could have been there to watch this. Man, because so many scenarios play out in my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an imagination kind of guy. I like, to, I like to picture, what does it smell like? What did it sound like? What was, what was the head? Was there a pregnant pause with, with this lame man going, wait, 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 wait. Do you not see what's going on here? Did you not see them carry me in here? Do you not see that my legs, you know, they're not like this. They're like this. I mean, do you not understand? Somehow or another, from the time they said, get up and walk, to the time he was dancing around, he got up and he walked. The Bible says he was so overjoyed that he literally started jumping and he started to walk. And as he did that, he then entered into the temple. This is something you don't want to miss. This man had never been able to worship. Never been able to worship properly. He couldn't get in. And even if he could, he wouldn't be allowed in. 
For the first time ever, he walked into the temple. There was such a commotion going on that all of the people that were there to pray turned their attention from praying to seeing what was going on. And so imagine it like this. You're inside of the building and there's big noise out here and there's a lot of commotion. So all of us being curious people grab our cell phones and we go out and we want to, we want to capture something. That's, that's what they were doing. They gathered around and they were watching this guy going, man, we know him. We pass him every single day. He's always laying there. He's never been able to walk. How did this happen? And then get this. Peter and John look at each other and go, you know what? We've been praying for an opportunity. Let's just preach here. This place is called Solomon's Colonnade. And so they begin to preach the gospel to people who otherwise would not have heard the gospel, except that they didn't have enough money, but what they did have, they gave this man, it changed his life, and now the gospel's being heard in the temple courts. Do you follow all that? Do you see how so many times, we, this, this is another little rabbit trail, we complain to God because our plans aren't working out, but what we don't realize is that our plans weren't what God aren't what God was wanting to do. He had something way better in mind. And so our roadblock turned into an opportunity that we couldn't have bought. Turned into something that God was in. And so instead of staying over here complaining because what we want isn't happening, why don't we just trust God and say, Lord, I'm in your hands. This is not my world, it's yours. So whatever you want, that's what you have. Instead of being disappointed that our plans aren't working out, how about we change our perspective and say, you know what? Maybe God's plan is bigger or more impactful or more perfect than mine. They started preaching the gospel. And if you'll read through the rest of the text, I don't have time right here to do it. But as you read through the text, he, they go all the way back into the Old Testament and they tie all these things together. And the people are amazed at what they're hearing. And they're wondering, how in the world are these guys do it, saying this? Chapter 4, verse 1. This is where we are. While they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them. So Peter and John were creating such a commotion by preaching the gospel in Solomon's colonnade that the leaders of the temple came out to ask, hey, where did everybody go? It'd be like me preaching here and are y'all just standing up going outside? I'm like, whoa. So I go outside and I'm like, yo, what's going on? And I go to the person that's, that's taking all of you out and I'm going, hey, don't you understand we're doing something? It's the same kind of thing. And so they accuse Peter and John of being a distraction and they're wondering what's going on. And so they arrest him. But because it's almost nighttime, they basically put them in jail. They say, tomorrow we're going to deal with this. Now, go back to the, to the other believers. Certainly they heard, hey, did you hear about the commotion with John and Peter? Man, they were just arrested. If they were normal people, they would be afraid. They'd be like, oh no, God's plan is being stopped. Oh no, the, the devil's winning. I mean, you know, we do all kinds of, we say all kinds of really silly things because we don't have the right perspective of what God is doing. The devil's not winning. The devil just played into the hand of God. Here's why. 
While they were in jail, no doubt it caused the people to pray, but it also moved John and Peter to another level of preaching the gospel, to another level of people. Because look what happened. The next day, verse 5, the next day their rulers, elders, and scribes. Do you think John and Peter could have said, hey, I want to talk to the rulers, elders, and scribes. Would y'all come and talk to me? Oh, it wasn't just then. It was also um, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. Do you think they could have had an audience with them by just going, knock on the door? Hey, can we talk? No. The highest level of leadership of the Jews were brought to them because of this conflict that I believe God ordained and purposed to be there. And so John and Peter looked at each other and goes, well, we've been praying for an opportunity. Here it is. Do you see how that works? Guys, listen. When our hearts are to do what God calls us to do, we don't have to make opportunity. We have to be ready for opportunity. We don't have to create anything. God's already done it. He's already at work. I got a call here recently. Um, well, let me tell you a different story. I got so many stories. So I, w I went to uh, uh, Krispy Kreme. Because, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, a, a first responder appreciation day. You got a coffee and a donut. I mean, I'm not going to pass that up. I mean, I'm not dumb, right? So, and, and here's what's funny. I, I wasn't actually planning on going by there. I was going somewhere else. And, and I, I, I swung around to it. It was inconvenient. And I remember saying to myself, you're really going to go out of the way for a free donut? Of course I am. I mean, do you know me? So I go to the, Kris the Krispy Kreme and I walk on in and I, I pick the donut and I get the coffee. And as I'm fixing my coffee, there's a guy that comes in and he's talking to the lady. And somehow or another, I hear this phrase, man, I don't have any money. I'm going through a divorce. I'm like, huh. And so... I'm wondering, okay, what's the best thing to do here? How do I, I want to, I want to, I want to be a part of this somehow and offer the gospel, but how do I do that? And so I decided what I would do is I'd go out to my car and get a card. So I went and I got a card and I, and I wrote my number on it and I came back in and I said, Hey, I overheard what you were saying to the donut lady. Uh, I mean, that's an honorable title. I got to tell you, I mean, you doctor, lawyer. Donut lady, it's right, it's right up there. That's, <laughs> I said, here's my card. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and a uh, chaplain. I, I'd love to talk to you about this if you just need somebody to walk through. Man, thank you. I, I actually been going to some d to divorce classes. I really do want to talk to somebody. And so we texted each other numbers and we're going to try to catch up in the next week or so. And I left that place going, you know, I wasn't looking for ministry. God had already planned it and he did it through a donut. Now, I want you to see the theological depth here, okay? I got the pleasure of coffee and a donut, but I got the joy of a connection that hopefully will lead to a gospel conversation. About 40 minutes later, I was driving, I was going hunting. First time I was going to hunt. It was on a Friday, my day off. I was hoping to get out and just 
just look at this guy. As I was driving, I got a call from another friend. And basically what my friend said was, hey, Jeff, I got a theological question. And he told me what the question was, and he told me a little bit about the background. And I said, you know, this isn't really a text question, and it's really not a phone question. Let me come and sit with you. I hung up the phone, and I thought to myself, God is at work everywhere. He doesn't need us to invent places to go. He just needs to go. He needs us to go, and as we go, make disciples. Does that stick with anybody here? Listen, God's already at work. You don't have to do anything strange or special. Just listen to Jesus. And so here's what happened. Ah, I'm racing the clock here. So, roll, oh, that's, well, it says 1233. I'm a little nervous here. Oh, yeah, that's right. We get an extra hour. Buggle up, buckwheat. So, they... Peter and John preached to the highest level of Jewish leadership. And as they're preaching, they, the leadership, the verse, uh, verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, they realized they're untrained and unschooled. And they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's drive this point home, okay? When you walk with Jesus... He transforms you from the inside out. And you can't help but be the light of the hope of the gospel. So many times we try to, so many times we're issue driven. We try to fix things in our lives. We try to fix this thing. We try to fix that thing. We try to do this thing. We try to do that thing. And what we're doing is we're, 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 we're playing on the outside of where we really need to be. We need to be working on the inside. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. Not of your works so that none of us will boast. You know what that means? That means on a daily basis we recognize our need for God's grace. We come to him and say, God, I'm not even going to try to pretend anymore. I'm not even going to. I, I mean, you already know, so let me just, let me just tell you. Because I need to say it so I can hear it. You already know it. I need to hear this out loud, God. God, I did this, and I thought this, and I went here, and God, I, I, just, I don't even know why. I just, I keep like a dog returning to its vomit. That's in the Bible somewhere, ain't it? I just, I just can't. And in a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God will not despise. None of us have got this thing perfected yet. I had a conversation with a friend of mine this week. And the idea was, man, I'm just, I, 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 can't, I can't be in church because I'm just not, I'm not right. I'm like, no, you do because that's, that's the kind of people that are in church. Amen. The people who realize they need God's grace. Anybody? That's you. That's me. You know what happens when we know we need God's grace? We give God's grace. When we see somebody on the street, we don't, we don't get pharisaical and judgmental and try to, try to, you know, holier than now. The Pharisees didn't know they needed God's grace. 
and they were lost because of it. So here's the cool part about this whole passage. God keeps opening these doors, I believe answering the prayer that they prayed in the beginning. And then in verse 23, after they were released, the first thing they did is they went back to their own people and they reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. Again, I wish I could have been there. I wish, because in my mind, I'm just imagining the conversation. Peter and John, they go back and they're like, you're not going to believe this, man. All we, we were just going to pray. That's it. We weren't going to heal nobody. We weren't going to preach. And we were just going to pray. But on our way to pray, this guy who was lame, it was so cool. It's like, it's like I wasn't even saying the words. It was like the words were coming out of my mouth and I didn't even know what was going on. Right? This is what they're saying. And as they said that, like, like he stood up and he started walking and dancing. And John and I are looking at each other going, I mean, because they weren't like perfected believers then. I mean, sure, they had seen Jesus, but this was kind of new to them. How many people did they heal? Up to that point, right? Not a whole lot. And so they were like, I can't believe we're doing this. And then all the people came out and they were watching. And so we were like, hey, dude, you know what? You think of what I'm thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking what you're thinking. Let's preach, right? And so they start, and they're telling this story. And then they say, whoa, 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 here's the best part. All of these chief priests and elders, they told us, they said, you can't do this anymore. So we looked at each other and we're like, God said we can and as they're telling this story, it leads them to praying. They told the story. And then in verse. My eyeballs are not working today. Sorry. Uh, in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said. Is there, now, who is praying? The believers who are hearing what God is doing, John, Peter, the rest of them, when they heard these stories, they raised their voices together with, to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of your, our father David, your servant, why the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand or your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, listen, verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders and perform through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Here's what just just exploded my brain when I was reading this this week. They were praying for boldness as if they hadn't been bold. What? They were like, God, give us boldness. They were already bold. They said, dude, stand and walk in Jesus name. Maybe not dude, stand and walk, but they said, stand and walk in Jesus name. They preached to the temple priests. They preached to the leading family of believers. They faced all of them with, and now they said, Lord, we still need your grace. Give us boldness. 
And I wanted to share that passage with you today because I believe that we can never pray enough. Because here's what prayer does, very quickly. Prayer reminds us of what God wants. Jesus said, if you pray anything in my name, what does that mean? It means God, not your will, but my, or not my will, but yours be done. We actually pray it the other way. God, not your will, but mine be done, right? When we pray, we ask anything in his name and he will do it. In other words, God, would you do what brings you glory and use me however you want in the process? That's our prayer. Two, prayer gives us the opportunity to exalt the name of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. It gives us the chance to remind ourselves and each other, this is our God. This is who he is. And I don't know about you, but when I hear stories of God, it makes me want to be more committed to him. Third thing it does is it unifies our hearts together. Because it tell, it, it, it's publicly saying where we're going and what we're asking for. And four, it gives God a chance to say, hey, y'all, watch this. I really think that God loves to say that phrase. Hey, y'all, watch this. They've been praying for this. <laughs> watch this. Remember this, the passage just a few chapters later when uh, I think it's James and, uh, John, or Peter and, and John were arrested, put in prison, right? Or maybe it's just Peter. I, I Anyways, one of the disciples was in prison. So they were in the, the, the room. They were praying, Lord, would you deliver him? Would you deliver him? And the servant comes and knocks on the door. Or rather, the, the, the person in prison comes and knocks on the door. The servant comes to the door. is like, hello? And then it goes back. And like, they're praying. And, and I just imagine that, that they're like, shh, shh, we're praying for release. We're praying for release. And she's like, release has happened, right? I mean, just open the door. Here's the thing. God loves to show himself faithful. He loves it. The power of a church is directly proportional to the prayer of a church. We don't need money. We don't need political power. We don't need influence. We need prayer. That supersedes all of them. Here's the final story. We got a call this week from our son Josh. We've actually had this call from all three of our children at different times. Josh's exact words. We were at a restaurant eating and Shannon put it on speakerphone. I hate it when people do that, by the way. <clears throat> Drives me nuts. I'm like, hey, could you talk somewhere else? We're talking. Anyways, we, we were those people. Put it on speakerphone because we both wanted to hear it. Here's what he said. He said, Mom, you never mess with praying mamas. There was a situation he was involved in that, that, that he needed some guidance in. And I'll be honest, I, I, I gave him the dad advice. My, mine was not holy advice. I was not spiritual at all with what I recommended. I'll just be honest. I was from a dad perspective, okay? Failure on my part. Mom's response was, well, we'll pray about that. 
So she called her friends and they started praying. And, and his response was, God did what you asked in prayer. God will do what we ask in prayer if we're praying in his name. But we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Father, so we know that we're supposed to pray. Lord, we want to pray. But somehow or another, our days get busy, the service gets long, and Lord, we, we tend to forget. Or we tend to, to rush through. But God, I'm asking you to make us a people of prayer. Make us a people who yield ourselves to you through bended knee. And God, I'm asking, because we need it. I'm asking you to supernaturally answer our prayers. So that we can say nothing else but the Lord has heard the cries of his people. Lord, I pray that if you make us nothing else, you make us men and women, boys and girls, of prayer. We take a moment and will you just examine your own heart and your own life? We're, we're just about done here. We've gone a little long. I want to invite you to just talk to God. Honor Him. Scripture tells us in 1 Thessalonians we're supposed to pray continuously. But that's couched with thanksgiving and rejoicing. So let your prayers be thanksgiving to God. Will you make a commitment to first pray and then do? Even on the simple things. Because that's yielding to Him and turning your faith to Him. And it's a reminder to yourself that, hey, God has got this. If you're in this place today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to trust Him now. We're going to stand and we're going to sing just a verse or so of this next song. And then we're going to be dismissed. So this is your chance to do something with what God has said to you today. Will you stand?